Hello, audience members. Before you go ahead and listen to today's episode with Brandon, I just want to preface that I messed up my audio by using the wrong microphone, and that's not going to be the norm from now on. It was just an accident. So enjoy. Like you, you don't have to be a great technical artist, but. If you're a good person, someone will be willing to help you out to get there. Right, be a good person to work with, and people will be willing to help you become a better artist because of that. Hello, and welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising by POC artists who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Brandon Louie. He is a Chinese-American artist working as a 2D FX artist working at Flying Bark Productions in Sydney, Australia. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Uh, yes. So, I am Brandon Louie, as Yuki just mentioned. So currently, I am a 2D FX artist on the Monkey Kid series, which is currently a series being produced for LEGO by Flying Bark Productions, released in China. Hopefully, I'll get to you guys one of these days. But yeah. At this point, I started doing 2D effects in October of 2019, and I'm still presently doing so. The way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We are going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why. <laughs> Sounds good. Sweet. Okay, so yeah, I'll start us off. Would you rather be a member of the Avengers Assembles animated series or a member of the Justice League animated series? I would choose Avengers Assemble. Oh, very interesting. How come? Oh. I don't know. I, I just think having just a lot more familiarity with just like the Marvel series as well. I'm like, yeah, I like what's going on over there. I'll join that side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's because you want to meet them. <laughs> yes. That's fair. I figured you would have chosen Justice League because I, I I think I know you're more of a Marvel fan, but just the fact that the Justice League Watchtower is in space, I figured that would draw oh. you to that. Hmm. Oh man, Ray is, Ray is introducing <laughs> some good points here. You have a good point, but it's not enough to sway me. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I don't know. Like I would I would grab one of Iron Man's like uh, space armored suits, and I'm like, oh, this is good enough for me. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's about your coworkers, not where where you're at. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, you got me there. You got me there, Yuki. <laughs> Which pair would you rather spend your summer with? Phineas and Ferb or Dipper and Mabel? Ooh, easy answer. Dipper and Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> hey, I mean, I dressed up as Dipper on Halloween one of the times. <laughs> <laughs> I turned my sketchbooks into the, the mystery journal, so. That's true. You also wore the Dipper hat quite a lot as that well. Was, that was my it first became, hat, actually. Yeah, it became part Is of your life. Actually... that was your first hat? Yeah, that was my first hat. That's where it all started. Damn. Damn. You have a nice hat collection. Wow. For those of you who don't know, we went to school with Brandon, and he wore a lot of really cool hats. But the first hat mm. was I had a Dipper Pines hat that is currently signed by Alex Hirsch. So <gasps> wait, what? Wait, yeah. that's really when, cool. When that in CTN, I just remember one of the times we were walking outside one of the outdoor bars, and Alex Hirsch was just walking there. I'm like, guy in plaid who looks like Alex Hirsch. Do I talk to him? 
Um, but yeah, I just went up and said hi. <laughs> Can you sign my hat? I, I'm a fan of your show. And that was that. Dude, that's really that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I know a lot of people by face. <laughs> Before talking. Yeah. He, he's got a very distinct face and attire, so it helps. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, that was in between, man. Thanks so much for playing with us. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Hopefully, enjoy yourself. Seems like you're pretty quick on the draw for most of it. <laughs> I think it, it helps that I know. Most of the time, I have a very good instinct of knowing what I like already. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brandon, what is the day-to-day life of a 2D effects animator at Flying Bark Productions? Anyway, so typically my job entails obviously doing 2D effects animation, but the main process that goes on behind it is typically we're getting various stages of animation from character animation done before us. So hopefully by the time we get a shot, we don't really need backgrounds too much, but for sure we need at least rough animation. And for at least for us, we have stages of rough animation, clean pass, in between and in color specifically. As long as most shots we could get a rough pass and we're able to work with effects on top of that. Sometimes we'll get shots that are like, hey, we need the character specifically attached to this specific effect, so we'll want something up to a clean pass. Then obviously once we get to color, no, we're good to go. And so based off that, we'll get a shot in from character animation and we're like, hey, the storyboards wanted to have, say, this explosion or this spark or this water splashing in the shot. We'll figure out, okay, what does the storyboard have? Sometimes character animation will actually do temp effects for us, and we'll animate on top of that depending on intention. Other times, we'll go, okay, this temp effects may not be working quite what we want it to. So pretty much depending on what kind of effects I'm in error, some people do, you know, a rough pass, a clean pass for effects. Sometimes if the effect's simple enough, you just go straight to clean. And then for most shots, we're also partially compositing it. So say if there's a dust or explosion, we're adding the glows, we're adding the blurs, we're adding motion blur, speed lights, stuff like that. And so that's really the main process from the start to an end of an effect shot. And then from there, we pass it on to comp. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you so much for that detailed breakdown. I felt like I learned so much. I feel like I wouldn't have thought about it in in that way. Because yeah, just like any other animation, you have your roughs, you have your green and color. How long does it typically uh, take you to kind of complete one of your shots? So like for character animation, we have to move a bunch of people around. And then for effects animation, you're kind of doing reactive stuff on top of that, right? You might like do something as small as a water droplet or I don't know, something a little bigger. Mm -hmm. Is there kind of like an expectation of turnaround for you? So I can say being at a studio, they give us they give us an estimated amount of time the shot should take. So I can't I can't give an exact clear answer just because the types of effect shots we get can vary wildly. Actually, I should clarify this just because I'm sure effects for film is probably vastly different than effects for TV. Because for us, say, sometimes we'll get a shot and we'll get a shot call out saying, hey, can you reuse this smoke from this shot? So we have a whole effects reuse library. That takes down a shot that could take a whole day into maybe an hour or two. Right, totally. And so I, I say that so obviously, it just depends. The complexity of a shot affects how long a shot will take, which isn't quite, <laughs> it, it isn't a clear-cut <laughs> answer, but... Well, uh, okay, so <laughs> let me, maybe I can narrow it down. Since effects is such a broad range, like, you're not just working with people, as a character animator would. You're working with, like, smoke, fire, you know, water, like, different 
electricity, all, these kinds of things. The elements of the yeah. avatar. Do you have, yeah, exactly. You become the <laughs> avatar. Do you have like extra time where they're expecting you to like do research on it? Or do you just kind of like go forward and they're like, okay. So when I first came here, my, my specific title was actually junior effects engineer. So I was actually, hmm. they were expecting me to learn on the job specifically. Um, and so there was actually times when my lead, he'd be like, oh, hey, let me, let me discuss how you would approach to smoke before you started out. Um, so there was mm-hmm. time for that. So I think I will add, especially for effects artists, like even when I came on a show, there's types of effects I haven't done before. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I will also add, it's part of like being in part of industry. If, if you tell someone here like, hey, I haven't done this before, they'll be understanding of that and say, okay, maybe this shot needs more time. That's the soft professional mm. side. The technical side is you'll go out, you'll get it as close as you can. Maybe maybe if it's a shot that needs to be done quickly, maybe they might pass it on to someone else who has done it before. All of this is to meet the pace of a television series, which is, for people who don't know, generally very, very fast-paced, yeah. uh, to say the least. <laughs> and so, yeah, I would typically add is like, yeah, depending on how big a shot is, determines how long it should take. So say, you know, if there's a, just like a couple frames of lightning strike, you're like, okay, you could do this in an hour. If there's like a heavy, like rolling sea, like, okay, the shot's probably going to take a day or two. One of the things yeah. I kind of want to dig deeper, you kind of like thought about it briefly, and I can tell you're really knowledgeable just by the way that you're talking, but what kind of knowledge and understanding do you need to have to be an FX animator? That's, that's a good question. That's specifically... Um, the one that I think up-and-coming effects artists always have the most trouble with and should study first and foremost is physics. Because effects is always much... I mean, most people are familiar with how, say, character animation is based upon acting. Mm. Effects animation mm. is based upon physics. And so you're mm. studying what is the foundation of your animation that you're going for. So, for example, if you're trying to animate fire, you're not just going like, to have all these wave lines. You have to understand what is the physics of what causes the fire to rise, what will behave if there's stuff around it, what's burning, stuff like that. If you're doing smoke, like, is it smoke being impacted in, like, dust, concrete, water, stuff like that? All of that is mm-hmm. really understanding what is the interaction going on. And so just study the physics of interaction specifically, and that's how you understand how to animate effects. Thanks, that's crazy. Because, yeah, really like, yeah, cool. it's not just drawing random cloud bubbles to make an explosion. You kind of need to understand where is the initial source of the explosion coming from? How is it emanating? How is it dispersing within the room? And also, a fire from like a campsite is going to react differently to a fire of a candle. Mm-hmm. That's honestly really, really interesting. I think it's easy to get, like, for a lot of animators, obviously, like you're saying, for characters, it's based on acting. And we see people walking around all the time, and you kind of get a sense of that motion just like being around it but like we don't necessarily pay attention to like fire or smoke or clouds or like when something falls and bounces off the ground so i think that is something that feels a little more foreign to like new animators and they're like i don't know it's just a cloud like make it move but it does like carry over that motion and like it it takes a lot of understanding of that which is really cool that um we have like animators dedicated to that because it is so specifically difficult so what I would add to that specifically is what I find as a trend amongst effects animators. And for anyone mm-hmm. listening to this, and if you're trying to figure out, oh, would I be a better character animator versus effects animators? Obviously, you could do both. But what's what you lean towards? I often find mm-hmm. people who look at 
the background of things. Like you're trying to understand, oh, like why did this happen? Or you're looking at the clouds outside and you're trying to understand the rolling effect of it. Like I talk to my coworkers and they're like, oh man, have you seen like that water wave? And it's the people who notice those specific details and backgrounds that tend to make up the effects artists in our mm. uh, team. Specifically for you, what drew you to FX animation over something like character animation? I struggle to find a very like specific source of inspiration, but I, I generally attribute it to, say, having grown up with a healthy dose of Star Wars and <laughs> watching a lot of explosions <laughs> happening on screen. I think that's, that's probably, as far as I can tell, the primary factor for what made me get into it. It's like, hey, there's all these ships exploding in space. How do I draw that? <laughs> and I figured out how to draw that. And it, it just kept going from there. No, for sure. Because I think when I met you, I think there was never, the more I got to know you, there was never a doubt in my mind that this guy was going to be an FX animator because your explosions are always so cool. <laughs> the way you would draw fire. When you walk into a classroom in the whiteboard and you see like, this explosion on the whiteboard, you know that was a Brandon Louie. Like, that was, you know, that was, that, that was, that was a calling sign. <laughs> or calling card. Yeah. It really was. I did hear at one point that you liked doing that just as sort of like a hobby and it wasn't something you were actually pursuing? Or was yeah. that always a goal of yours? So what wound up happening is like when I went into SJSU, initially I wanted to do... I think VizDev, and I was specifically because at the time I didn't know people had jobs doing effects. Mm. So it was it was just a mm-hmm. lack of awareness of, oh, people can get paid for this. Obviously, I'm in a very different position now. <laughs> but at the time, you know, it's obviously amount of positions that are out there for, say, character animators and background painters. Those are very visible people. I'm like, okay, I'll do that to at least get a job in animation. And then mm-hmm. I realized, do effects. I might as well do that. <laughs> So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's one of the beauties about going to school and like learning more about the animation industry. Cause I think for myself as well, like my knowledge of animation was so very limited when I first entered. Like I didn't know all these different roles and sub roles within the realm of animation, like prop designers, FX animators, character animators, riggers, uh texture artists, color designers, like there's so many different positions and oftentimes it is broken down to super generals like visual development is so broad and there's so many specific like, visual what does development, that even but, mean now but, yeah but, but that's how people that, but that's how people break it down there's visual development there's animation and then there's story and that's mainly and, and we can throw modeling in there as well but those are mainly the things that people think about and don't realize how specific you can get mm-hmm. so something i actually want to know your first industry job out of school was at the studio that we mentioned flying bark productions and it's located in Australia. <laughs> yes. What was, what was your thought process when making that big decision to move from California all the way down under to <laughs> Australia? I hate you, Ray. Also, I hate you. I'm just going to throw that out there. That. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. No, fair enough. I wanted to find a job outside the U.S. at least for a year. Because I just, I kind of want to get that, like, work travel experience and then i was actively looking for effects jobs outside the u.s so that's my search was already okay if it's in if it's in the u.s maybe i'll take it but i'm actively seeking out opportunities you know even if it's in you know obviously australia maybe europe something like that and then from there had the fortune of literally seeing like a twitter post of like hey we need to be effects artists (laughs) (laughs) 
Dude, that is so crazy to me. I did not know that you actively looked for a job outside of the the country. I feel like and the reason behind it makes sense that you're you're still young. I'm not settled down. I don't have anything <laughs> tying me down and stuff. So now is the best time for me to travel. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. If if not now, when? So that's honestly really cool that you had that kind of mind, that mindset and that thought process. So for you, it wasn't it wasn't a hard decision. But how did out of curiosity, how do your parents feel knowing that their little baby <laughs> was going to be leaving the country to go to Australia? <laughs> Overall, they're fairly supportive of it. Um, and like a little cool thing that actually did wind up happening from it was so when I first moved out here in. October of 2019. They actually came with me for a week, you know, more as a uh, help figure out like business sides, but also, you know, it also counts as a vacation too. You know, it, nice. that was a nice way of them supporting me in the move out here. That's really free. Oh, yeah. I'm also trying to leave the country. <laughs> <laughs> like there's so much animation outside of the US. I mean, the biggest, the biggest highlight about working in like LA and California is that there's a union. Mm-hmm. And you get union <laughs> wages, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I've I also moved out of California just because I was like, I want to go somewhere else. I need to be somewhere else. And I know like the the animation industry and like LA and everything can be very insular. Like everybody's just talking to everyone else, which is great. But then it's like you don't really expand your worldview. You get you get into an animation bubble per se. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's it's definitely good to like travel around and get like a more worldly view. Like the world is so connected right now. Yeah, so. oh, very true. You definitely got out of that bubble, Brandon. Mm-hmm. So can you explain how is the animation scene in Australia compared to the states? Fairly different in the sense of obviously just by the sheer population size, there's less demand for animation compared to the states. Because like for starters, I think Australia as a whole has. Either 25 or 35 million. It's less than California or so. But the size of Australia is still mainland US. So that mainly influences it in the sense of, obviously, demand for, say, local preschool animation is always high in any country you go to. So that's that's still mm-hmm. strong here. I know they actually have, they, they had a law, like, you needed a minimum number of animated shows for education here. It was actually pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So oh, that's, nice. that's you know that's help funded by the state stuff like that. Um, oh, that's really cool. So I think it's it's a little bit outside of that. It's more commercial work, and Flying Bark is almost more of a exception, as far as I can tell, in terms of them producing what feels like Western geared animation. Granted, you know they were doing they were working on Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that was being mm-hmm. storied at Nick, but produced here everything else was oh wow yeah it sure looks fantastic i'd say australia and canada are somewhat similar in terms of all of the storyboards are being produced in la all the animations being made either canada maybe europe maybe here stuff like that but we don't see australian cartoons being aired in the u.s every every everybody learns about the u.s but the u.s doesn't learn about everybody else (laughs) So in your experience, what are some of the pros and cons about pursuing an animation job in a different country? Well, I mean, I'll say relevant to at least what was 2020 and 2021 is I can go to a restaurant and eat right now. (laughs) 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 
so true. Yeah, um, I I know the we had a small outbreak. For anyone who listens past 2020, we had a pandemic. Um, but Australia <laughs> fared it very well overall. I think we're we had we had a minor outbreak. Currently, we're on our third day of no cases here in Sydney, which is nice. nice. That's good. That's really good because like Sydney's a city, like a big yeah, city. Yeah, it's a big city, yeah. and it's between that and Melbourne. I I heard somewhere like between those two cities, that's like about half of Australia's population. So they're fairly <laughs> dense cities. I see. And so to, to more specifically answer your question, though, I would say pursuing pursuing animation outside of the States, I find obviously very much broadens horizons, but also just kind of being immersed in a different culture of, you know, just being able to talk to different people. Granted, I, I don't know what it's like, you know, say at your guys' job, just because I don't have any other frame of reference to compare it to. But I can mm-hmm. say... It's it's cool just because you're able to interact with people of different cultures. I would actually say, in many regards, it's interesting being out here because to me, it feels like working here, a lot of people, a lot of my coworkers are actually similar age to me. So it feels almost like the progression of just college or uni, as they like to call it here. But recognizing that, hey, we actually share relatively similar experiences, no matter where you're at. So on the topic of college or uni, what aspects about your education at San Jose State University do you feel helped you prepare for your first industry job? Definitely, I would say being able to work together with people. That that was probably the best thing, or at least for me, the most relevant thing. Because unfortunately for me, I had to self-study effects a lot, so there wasn't as much opportunity for direct learning of that. So it's learning mm-hmm. how to work with other people, just because when you're working on a job, whether even even if everyone's having meetings over Zoom, it's you know being professional, learning when to ask for tips or helps, or say if something's going wrong. A lot of that really does come to you're working on a team effort. Say the projects I'm working on, we have like an effects team of like five people. That's mm-hmm. most. I don't know how many mm-hmm. projects actually have that many effects people on a project. That's a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be kind of effects heavy. Like, I know for the show that I'm working on now, we only have one effects animator. That tends to be par. But it it really is, you know, even I had imagined even if you're a one man effects team, you still have Mm -hmm. to interact with people. You still have to learn, you know, good soft skills allows people to be willing to help train you and teach you things. So you feel like it was more the soft skills that became more applicable for your transition into the industry rather than the technical? Because you're right. Yeah, there is no, I don't know many schools that specifically teach FX as like a core curriculum. So, so yeah, it seems like what was beneficial was those soft skills. Uh, I remember one of the phrases I heard was, you don't have to be a great technical artist, but if you're a good person, someone will be willing to help you out to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Be a good person yeah. to work with, and people will be willing to help you become a better artist because of that. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Um, and that's, that's like that's very much true when I first got here, uh, just because you can only self-study so much. But then when I first came here, I was working under someone who's been doing effects for 35 years. <laughs> um, wow. Wait, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool that you get to work with somebody with that kind of experience. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so obviously... As much as you can learn on your own, when you're learning with someone who just knows it intuitively, the best thing you can do is just kind of like sit back and soak in what they have to share. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the kind of big thing. I think when you're first getting an industry is, you know, recognizing like, yes, it's great that you're starting off, but it's also recognizing there's so much great talent around you that you can now learn from because all your coworkers have such vastly different experiences. And especially if you know people who have a specific skill you want to learn from, it doesn't hurt to ask and seek out knowledge from them. I think you put it, put it wonderfully. So the other thing I kind of want to ask you about is Kairu. So now you meant you mentioned it earlier on. So I kind of want to ask you more about it. So for those of you that listened to our episode with Rebecca Chan, you may be familiar with the short film Kairu. But for those that haven't, Kairu was a capstone project produced at San Jose State. It revolves around Mitsuko, a photographer struggling with self-doubt. And so Brandon, can you tell us what it was like being a 2D FX animator lead and a co-producer for Kairu? Yeah, so Kairu is definitely a unique experience. Um, so in addition to what you in- introduced, yeah, because that was a... BFA project, we had a team of nine people, and because of the scale of the project, a lot of us had to wear different hats. And so therefore, I had to wear the 2D effects hat, I had to wear the co-producer hat. As I mentioned before, you know, I was also helping out with uh, compositing. Fortunately, we had Caitlin doing lead compositing. And say, we even dealed mm-hmm. with stuff like I was helped set up like Kickstarters and other various things. So when you're on a project that's relatively small, you have to learn how to balance multiple roles of said project at once. And so for me, first and foremost, you know, getting getting the effects right was my first priority. But it's really figuring out, okay, like say 50% of my time is spent animating and then 30% of my time is spent co-producing and figuring out like what shot is where and what's our deadlines like. And then 20% is like, oh, hey, how's our Kickstarter going and stuff like that. It really comes down to time management of, you know, you know what your priorities are, you know which ones you need to get done to the best of your ability, you know which ones just need to get done. And it really is just priority order management so that you're able to meet. For us, you know, we had a school deadline to get a film finished by a specific date and making sure all those parts are moving at once so they'll finish across the finish line together and in one piece. Mm-hmm. Again, if you guys haven't seen Kyrie, you guys should honestly watch it. It's on YouTube, IGTV, Vimeo, wherever you want to stream. So there's there's these really cool like water scenes where Mitsuko turns into like this water spirit and it's like flying across the room. How was majority of that you? Were you the sole FX person when it came to dealing with the water? And like I know I remember listening to uh we had this thing at San Jose State where we did thesis presentations. So the leads talked about the project and you were talking about understanding the viscosity of the water so you really had this deep understanding when it came to animating this spirit of water in in animating kairu i was probably responsible for say 90 percent of the effects in it um i I believe we had uh dimitri he was helping us out for a couple of like the some of the smaller background shots but for most of the main character animation uh, in terms of when Mitsuko turns into water spirit form. That was primarily me. I did have help also in terms of, say, if there's a specific motion I was having trouble with. Like, since effects is my strength, I went to the character animators for their strengths as a character animator to help lead action. And then I'd add water mm-hmm. on top of it. So that was a cool mm-hmm. teamwork in terms of figuring out, like, hey, you know, character, can you help me out act more so that I could add my effects so each respective department is utilizing their respective strengths. That's really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful tag team effort. How does your cultural background influence you as an artist, either in your professional work or personal, if at all? I feel like I have a unique experience in terms. You know, I have to start like you could mention specifically Chinese American. That that is a confluence of a lot of uh, cultures at once. Um, like specifically for me, like I'm third generation Chinese American, mm-hmm. so you know, I feel like as each generation goes further. You associate more with the second half of Chinese American more than the first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, there's definitely still elements at play that influence. Say, like coming up in February, you know, like Chinese New Year, that's still a big thing, mm-hmm. things like that. So it it influences, you know, say holidays you celebrate. In terms of art specifically, though, a lot of my influences probably came more so from primarily, say, either. American or Japanese influences, as opposed to Chinese, <laughs> and like also that's that's also completely fine. Because the reason I wanted to ask you this question, because again, we're we're trying to spotlight by POC artists. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast. If we kind of want to see how culture plays, if it does, and it doesn't always have to. The reason I ask this one for you is because because uh, I feel like when you're an animator or like I think more specifically like visual development story, there's a way for you to draw upon your culture in certain moments. And in like the stylistic of choices that you make in like when you're a character designer, but for an FX animator, how do you like? I think that with that one, it's a bit difficult to draw like your like draw your culture and like what's the difference? And like this is gonna sound so bad, but I'm still gonna say it. But like, what's the difference between a Chinese fire and a Mexican fire? Mm. It's fire is fire. <laughs> <laughs> with FX being your primary job, I feel like when you do your personal art, is that the time you take to really draw upon your, whether your personal life? And apply that to your art, or your cultural background. You apply that to your art. Mm-hmm. So that's something where I was kind of interested with you specifically with your specific career. So I have two answers to this. So the first one, there is there is such a thing as like say Chinese smoke. Um, go go watch <laughs> Mulan. Mulan has some of the best calligraphy inspired smoke. Like imagine if you're mm-hmm. looking at a you know a traditional like old ancient like Chinese tapestry painting of like swirly clouds with calligraphy and stuff like that. If you watch Mulan, they emulate that style in their effects animations. I can say they took specific references and said, "Hey, how do we animate this for effects?" And it's yeah, they it's took beautiful. they took inspiration they took inspiration from the culture and the art to influence or to guide the animation and the look that they were going for. Also, same thing. I know, like actually, I don't know if, if it is in Hercules, but I know in Hercules there's a lot of swirls, and I think they did take that from the art on on the pottery and try to incorporate that into the design mm-hmm. of, of Hercules. So yeah, there is aspects like that. And uh, I think a great example of like bringing up the fire Milan, like that is an interesting way to take culture and put it into something that is an effect. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But yeah, but to answer more generally, um, because, because the role of effects is more dependent upon the story being told, effects artists are there to support of whoever's telling a story so generally you know there there's no movie that's going to be made for effects first those are always just going to be tech demos yeah so you're kind of at the mercy more of whoever's telling the story so it's not i find effects artists tend to enjoy being people who support the stories of someone else and help amplify their voices more so Mm -hmm. but that also does allow like i find it interesting like you're in my time of say doing personal work i find myself doing fan art more because i'm like hey how do i add a cool explosion to a star wars fan art piece i can do stuff like that Mm -hmm. 
as an effects artist, it's more so dependent upon um, what do you want to add an explosion to? That's a, mm-hmm. that's a question we often ask. <laughs> that's really cool. I think, like, in general, it feels like this kind of, like, speaks to you as a person, like, as... Um, like you said earlier, if you like something, you're like, yeah, I like that thing. Or like, I like this more than that. And you're like pretty quick to like decide. And I think that idea of like most of the art that you create for yourself is like fan art that you have enhanced or like, you know, you've taken a subject that you like, oh, that's cool. But it'd be cooler if I added this. Um, (laughs) It's really it's really interesting to me inherently because like Mm -hmm. I know a lot of artists do personal art to like express themselves or get through something or something like that but like you know making fan art and making just like cool stuff that you enjoy i think that's totally rad i think more people should be able to do that and not always have to be like uh i am a high artist i have to make something that means anything (laughs) it's like no just do whatever you want you're an artist (laughs) Mm. i think by the nature of me choosing the path of hmm I can make a living off drawing, drawing explosions. <laughs> it's a very specific type of person. <laughs> yeah. So, when when did you know you wanted to pursue a career in animation? So, as I mentioned earlier, when I first went to SJSU, um, I wanted to do Visitive. And that specifically came from, I remember buying The Art of Tangled, specifically. Because that was, ah. that was the first art of... Yeah, that's the first art of book I got. If you need to look at visual reference of how to make a film, that's my... I'd recommend that to anyone. Um, but for me specifically, what I understood from that was people have jobs making these films. Because before that, you're, you, they get made... No one tells a story of how this got made, specifically. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of up to you to see what goes on behind the scenes. And so for me, that starting point was getting art tangled, realizing people had jobs, diving in to see more beyond that and figuring out this whole animation industry. I, I definitely knew I wanted to do something creative, but then once I figured out there's a confluence of animation, filmmaking, and being an artist somewhere in that mix, that's when I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to do that. One of, one of the things I also want to ask you is what are some of your future aspirations that you want for yourself in the in the career of animation uh well definitely i want to keep uh honing my craft of 2d effects um because i will say Mm -hmm. probably as impressive my stuff is now that i have a frame of reference of watching people who've been doing this for a lifetime i recognize how much further i have to go and so it it really is you know i want to be able to keep having jobs doing effects and be able to have that, yeah, just that ability to make this my craft specifically. Outside of that, you know, I made it to Australia. Maybe having a job in Europe one day wouldn't be so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, whenever things open up, like I could imagine yeah. like working for like say Cartoon Saloon and working under next oh my Wolf God. Walkers or something. If you worked like, for ah, Cartoon Saloon, yeah. <laughs> that would be the coolest. We mentioned earlier how the career of animation could be very nomadic. You want to take that to the extreme by being nomadic into maybe even different countries. At least for at least for the sh- relative short term until things start settling mm-hmm. down. Yes. But do you know that that's that's awesome. I think it's awesome that you have the mentality that yeah, like we mentioned earlier, you're still young to go to different parts of the world and, you know, see 
see the different worlds of animation. I think that's that's awesome, and I hope hope you do end up in Europe yeah. or Canada or Japan somewhere. I don't know if I'd want to in Japan's anime industry though. Oh no, that's tough. It's tough. Maybe 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 scratch that. <laughs> you could travel around with your old too, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you could travel around all your life if you want. <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah. Yeah, what's stopping you? Yeah, I mean, in, in the back of my head, like, if I never settled down, I would just, like, animate in the back of an RV, just, like, road tripping everywhere. I don't know, I don't crazy. want that, like, long term, but I like the idea <laughs> of it. Mobile studio. Yes. This is, wait, okay, this is kind of a tangent, but would you ever, like, animate something, like, a uh, Firebird Suite, you know, where there's, like, oh. lava, like, dripping, you know what I'm talking, like, yes. the the biggest the insane, of effect like, all that smoke that comes up and you just watch it right bit. ah <laughs> so good i don't know i mean see that this is a fascinating thing even to mm-hmm. me i'm like i don't know if i'm at that level yet like that's a whole right, right, another right. mastery that i i need if if i'm working full-time that would take me like half a year to complete or something dude right god damn it's insane, especially like you watch Fantasia, what they put out in that specific sequence alone, we're still studying it to this day. Yeah. Dude, hell yeah. I remember seeing a video where they thought that scene was uh, CG, and then the dude was like, no, I animated that. Like, no, I drew every single glob <laughs> of fire you see. That was me. Yeah, it's what a what legend. happens when you put like uh, a Kira level uh, animation budget into a Disney project. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I can't or, like, I was watching like Fully Cooly the other day. I'm like, mm. oh, still holds up. Oh my god, Brandon! I feel like you have been such such a wealth of knowledge, especially with your understanding of 2D FX and even talking about like different stylistic choices, like what we mentioned with the whole Mulan stuff, and just the understanding of of physics. Is there any uh, advice that you would want to give for people that want to pursue a career in animation, whether FX or not? That you think would be helpful for them? Let's see. I feel like I, I probably make a two-part answer, one more general, one more specific. Definitely generally in terms of animation, it's you know, figuring out what what is it about animation that you enjoy. Um and it's it's been fascinating just having, you know, all these animation friends around me being able to ask, like, hey, what got you into animation? Everyone has a different story, and it's up to you to figure out what is that story for yourself and where does it lead you know like you guys you guys are doing storyboarding and animation correct right yeah yeah yes um (laughs) and so like you guys you have a specific way that you got about it and so if you give it time you'll find out what in animation you enjoy and what you'll want to do for a career and then specifically for effects you know as i mentioned it's people who look at the background i just highly recommend you know keep studying what it is that's fascinating to you i definitely know for me it's like you know it's watching an explosion in a transformers film or something it's like cool i want to draw that um and it's <laughs> it's really that that is start of seeing it goes from oh this is fascinating to start asking the questions of why is this happening so you know if you're studying fire understanding you know from what point does a fireball turn into a smoke and how will you animate all of that churning and turning as it goes along. Um, start studying masters of uh, this animation craft or start seeking out resources. I know uh, right now um, I was watching someone VFX apprentice. They were like, just like mm. putting out stuff for, Hey, we're 
starting an online 2DFX course or something like that. And that's the kind of resources that you won't be able to get in most schools at this point, just because it's such a mm -hmm. niche course that schools in general aren't going to be offering stuff like that. Um, right. Yeah, outside of that, just start studying effects animation in the way you want. And I mean that in the sense of currently, there's definitely a trend towards Japanese like Sakuga style animation. Definitely mm -hmm. worth studying. But if, say you're like you're into old classical Disney effects animation. Both of those are wildly different ways of approaching effects. They're both valid ways of approaching it. And it's get what you want to learn out of studying that. And yeah, just keep drawing explosions. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else you want to plug? Let's see. Yes. Uh, so listeners can find me at Jason Doodles. That's my tag for both Instagram and uh, Twitter. And then uh, I feel like that's that's really the main two ways to find me. Um, if you're going to contact me for uh, FX work, I am at brandonjison at gmail.com. Um, outside of that, ooh, check out Kairu if you can. We're on Kairu short film on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> Definitely, if, if you are an artist who's not feeling so hot on their craft, that is specifically the type of film that we aimed our uh, theme and story to. So I'd definitely give it a recommendation if you're looking for something like that. Yeah, that's, that's all I got. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with Brandon today, please rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP, and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future between questions, <laughs> contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any suggestions for guests, please feed at us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you guys. <laughs>